The large central building was ringed by bright colours. It looked like a parking lot filled with cars. When the plane dipped lower, the cars turned out to be bodies, hundreds of bodies, wearing red dresses, blue t-shirts, green blouses, pink slacks, children's polka-dotted jumpers, couples with their arms around each other, children holding parents. Nothing moved. Washing hung on clotheslines, the fields were freshly ploughed, banana trees and grapevines were flourishing, but nothing moved. So reported Donald Neff, a Times magazine news correspondent and one of the first reporters to fly into the obscure hamlet of Jonestown in the jungles of Guyana. The awful tragedy happened on the 18th of November, 1978. 918 people died in an act of mass suicide. They were all followers of a charismatic religious leader named Jim Jones. Most of the people were American citizens and part of a religious movement known as the People's Temple that began as a fairly orthodox church, initially in Indianapolis, then in San Francisco, uh, and uh, then they relocated to Mendocino County, the city of Ukiah in Northern California. And then on account of increasingly growing negative press, they relocated to Guyana. That they were renowned for doing a lot of good work, particularly amongst poor communities and amongst drug addicts in particular. That the community in Guyana had actually practiced their ritualistic mass suicide before. They'd have people drink a special colored cordial. On that fateful day in November 1978, a U.S. congressman and a small news crew had flown to Jonestown to investigate a growing number of uh, complaints by former defectors. And the entire crew and the news crew were, and the congressman were shot on the airfield and killed. Jim Jones then gave the order over the loudspeaker. It was time for them to drink again. Large buckets of purple Kool-Aid laced with a concoction of potassium cyanide and potassium chloride were distributed amongst the people and served out in cups. Parents and nurses used syringes to squirt fatal doses onto the tongues of babies. I I was 19 years of age when this happened. I was uh, an intern with a Christian youth organization, Youth for Christ, and I can remember sitting in the lunchroom at YFC in Wellington as we listened to the news of this horrific incident. Some of you will recall where you were when the tragic news of Jonestown splayed across our media. Just how you describe Jim Jones's theology has been a debate over the, the, the decades. Some say he started out as an orthodox Christian but then went astray. Others suggest that he was actually always really an atheist and a socialist dressed in religious garb but devoid of any personal faith. He certainly knew how to move a crowd. He was a, a friend to numerous powerful people like the governor of California, 
big city mayors, even Rosalind Carter, the wife of the then president. He was a powerful and a convincing preacher. He was renowned for supposed miraculous healings and for convincing people that he was a mouthpiece of God. But as media investigations began to close in on him and his movement, he became more and more paranoid. And as I say, he convinced over 900 people to move with him to the jungles of Guyana where they established a small colony. Jim Jones was someone that history defines by the term false prophet. He manipulated religion. He duped hundreds of people into a sad and a premature death. He's certainly not the only deceptive, charismatic leader who was hung around the fringes of the Christian faith. And guess what? He probably won't be the last. But it's worth asking the question, how does something like this happen? And and how can it be stopped How do seemingly intelligent, rational, well-educated people allow themselves to be duped by someone claiming to be or to speak on behalf of God? Are people like Jim Jones or more recently David Koresh of the Branch Davidians whose group went up in a blaze of fire in Waco, Texas? Or Sun Myung Moon of the Moonies. Are are these people deliberately and intentionally evil? Or were they deeply sincere in what they believed, just sincerely deluded? But more than that, why do people with rational minds fall under the power of their words and do what these false prophets tell them to do? I mean, we we know from church history that tragic instances like this are actually not peculiar to the 20th or the 21st century. That these kinds of scenarios have happened over the centuries. And, And Jesus actually gave some important advice about this in his famous Sermon on the Mount that we've been working our way through. Here's what he had to say in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Watch out for false prophets. They they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Why would Jesus make a statement like this? Well, the obvious implication is that opportunity for counterfeit, serious counterfeit, is a constant potentiality amongst the people who follow God. Our opposition to God and what God is doing in our world is not always or necessarily front-on or overt. Sometimes it's more subtle and subversive or covert. The devil who opposes the things of God is cunning 
and devious. And over the centuries, attempts have been made to try and silence or stymie the advance of Christianity by very overt and physical persecution. But believers, have, as we know, have been, been tortured and, and, and martyred and beaten for their faith, all in the hope that this would act as a deterrent that other Christians would give up on the whole idea. But, but such tactics actually seldom work. In fact, normally it's the opposite. It's a bit like throwing a, a, a bucket of cold water onto a fat fire or a, a, a pan of boiling oil that's caught alight. It has the effect actually of spreading the fire as the hot oil or fat uh, is splayed across the walls. No, a, a better strategy is actually infiltration. Rather than clobbering from the outside, a more effective tactic has been to try and lead people off track from within the church. And so Jesus specifically warned his followers that there would be false teachers, false prophets, false leaders who would rise up and lead unsuspecting believers into deception. They would not necessarily be people who are inherently bad or evil or insincere, just misguided and incorrect and sincerely wrong. And 2,000 years on from when Jesus said these particular words, there have been numerous examples in the history of the Christian church. And as I say, there is likely to be more to come. So Jesus' advice is actually quite simple. But you can sum it up in simply four words. Do not be gullible. Don't allow yourself to be taken in. Just because a person claims that they are speaking or ministering in the name of God does not necessarily mean that he or she is doing so. Now, in understanding Jesus' advice, definitions of words may be helpful here. The, the, the word prophecy, we probably understand that pretty well, but it, it, it means literally to speak forth the mind and the counsel of God. Maybe it's in terms of doctrine or teaching or instruction or some kind of revelation. The, the word prophet simply means a person who is a messenger, uh, the one who speaks forth or proclaims a divine message to whomever it is for uh, on behalf of God. And there are many forms uh, that, that prophecy can take. If you go back to the Old Testament era, uh, prophets there were recognized as people who had a special relationship with God and who would hear or discern specific words of instruction from God to his people under uh, the occasional and the quite specific anointing of the Holy Spirit, a, a prophet would discern a specific piece of advice and pass it on. It might be a word given to an individual, it could be to a national leader like a king, or it could even be on occasions to a society in general who were behaving in a way that God wanted to speak into. In the New Testament era, which is what you and I live in today, and especially uh, since Pentecost, from which the manifestation of the Holy Spirit can now occur on every believer, every Christian, rather than just a select few, like in the Old Testament days, uh, 
the definition of prophecy can again take several forms. It may be a, a special or a specific word of instruction or encouragement that a person receives and passes on to another. Maybe you have a coffee. Maybe in a fellowship gathering. Maybe going for a walk around the lake. Maybe it's uh, in the form of a church service. It can be in the form of teaching and the imparting of the words of God, like in preaching or in a Bible study. The prophet is merely the mouthpiece or the means of delivery of that particular word. And prophecy is specifically listed as one of the important gifts uh, amongst the list of spiritual gifts that God gives to the Christian church. That's not to say that God only speaks through prophets. Any of us can prophesy in that sense. Uh, but there is a special place and moment or occasion where the gift of being a mouthpiece for God becomes a ministry. When Jesus used the term prophet the, in verse 15, the uh, original Greek word that is recorded of that uh, is the word pseudo-prophet, a false prophet. And the word pseudo literally referred there to a liar or a person with deceiving lips. Jesus was referring to people who claim to be presenting a word or a piece of instruction from God that is incorrect or mistaken. The false prophet may know that they are doing so and they have malicious intent to deceive or they may simply be misguided or mistaken. In other words, as I say, the prophet may not be deliberately attempting to undermine or to divert God's people. He or she may be deeply sincere in what they say or believe, but they're just mistaken. In other words, the whole realm of the prophetic is not an exact science. Prophets and prophecies are not infallible in and of themselves. The prophet has clay feet, just like everybody else does, and can be right on some occasions and wrong on others. Now, Jesus' warning about false prophets and false prophecies was something that the Old Testament people and the people of Jesus' day in the Jewish community were very familiar with. A number of notable prophets uh, in Israel's past from people like Moses and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zephaniah and so on, uh, among others, had spoken about it in length. There was a theme that at least three different New Testament authors also picked up on, no doubt in response to what Jesus had said. Let me give you some examples. Now, first, uh, Second Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Or 1 John chapter 4 verse 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Or Romans 16 verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Or Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, 
See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And so the common theme amongst all of these writers is that just because a person claims to be speaking on God's behalf does not automatically mean that we must accept that that is in fact the case. Do not be gullible. Many people have been taken in and refused to exercise appropriate discernment and the results of that were disastrous. Which I guess all leads to the obvious question, how do you tell the difference? How do you know, how do you discern between that which is a genuine representation of God's voice or direction compared to that which is flaky or counterfeit. Well, from the teaching of Jesus and the wider counsel of the Scripture, there are actually a number of steps we can take. Let me suggest three. And the first one is investigate or check the validity of what is being communicated. And this clearly is the point of Jesus' warning, along with the counsel of other people like Paul and uh, John and Peter and so on. Don't just accept what you hear. Check it out. Uh, a certain amount of skepticism or caution can actually be a godly virtue. In fact, a genuine prophet will actually encourage you to not merely accept what they have to say. They will encourage you to weigh up their words and to discern for yourself whether what has been said is truly from God. The genuine prophet will couch their words with humility, not dogmatism. I remember in the early days of the charismatic renewal movement as a young person hearing certain people of leadership note who would say with thunderous voices, Thus saith the Lord! How can you ever disagree with that if someone like that says that so emphatically? I I wonder whether the the genuine prophet who is cognizant that he or she also has clay feet might actually be more likely to say, you know what, I believe the Lord is saying and say what they have to say. With an implicit invitation for the recipient to check it out for oneself. The dogmatic Pronouncement leaves little room for question. People have sometimes allowed themselves to be distracted or deceived by assuming that because a prophetic word was previously proved to be accurate, every time that same prophet prophesies in the future, it will also be accurate because they were right then. Not so sure about that. There's a rather pernicious heresy abroad in some Christian circles that actually suggests that a prophet is accurate 100% of the time or they are inaccurate or wrong 100% of the time. In other words, if if I was right in what I said to you before, then you should trust me because I'll be right this time as well. Well, I don't want to stand on toes, but such teaching is wrong. Uh, Prophets are sinners saved by God's grace just like the rest of us. And, and prophets are infallible and it's possible that they may be mistaken, albeit they have the best intentions. Always, without exception, we are encouraged to weigh carefully what someone presents to us 
as a word from the Lord. A prophet who does not display a humble approach or disposition or who states arrogantly you must do or believe everything they tell you or who says, and this has been the case in some places, do not share this secret word with anybody else. Just put it into practice. I would venture to suggest is probably a false prophet. They may not be a bad or an evil person per se, but there's something worth questioning about the advice they are giving. Secondly, test the message against the counsel of the Scriptures. And this has always been the litmus test for genuine prophetic revelation. God does not contradict himself. Is the instruction or revelation a prophet is giving, is it consistent with what the Bible teaches about God and about faith and how we ought to conduct ourselves before him? How does it compare with the teaching and the role modeling of Jesus? And if there is a discrepancy between the presented prophetic word and that which the Bible teaches, it's pretty safe to assume that a person is not giving a genuine word from the Lord. And this was actually an issue that the early Christians in the second and third centuries in particular had to deal with on a number of occasions. In those days, there were some weird and wonderful, mainly weird, revelations and writings that began to circulate amongst the early churches. And some of them seemed to kind of have a ring of orthodoxy at some level, but there were significant points of doctrine that were a clear departure from what had been recorded by actual eyewitnesses of the ministry of Jesus. Remember a few decades ago, we had the Da Vinci Code novel. Great book to read as a novel. Uh, but but uh, this, this book in the Da Vinci Code alluded to the fact that there were other Gospels than just the first four that we have in our New Testament that were written about the same time and that these other Gospels were not included in the canon of the New Testament because of some deep conspiracy amongst the early Catholic Church leaders and so on and so on. I remember being on a, uh, Liz and I were going on holiday, we were on a flight to Fiji and I was reading the Da Vinci Code and this became really popular thinking and uh, as we were disembarking from the plane I'm standing holding the, the novel in my hand and the lady in the row in front of me says, oh, so you, yeah, that, everything that book says is true, you know. <laughs> now the, 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 the confirmation of the gospel writings that made it into the New Testament uh, and those that were jettisoned um, for obvious reasons, it's a bigger subject than we're discussing here today. Suffice it to say that those other spurious writings were rejected and jettisoned because they were inconsistent with first-hand accounts of the teaching of Jesus or other uh, portions of God's word. The early church fathers applied Jesus' teaching about testing prophecy for accuracy and authenticity. And we can trust the science that was used and applied in terms of what made it into the New Testament and what doesn't. We go way back to the time of Moses. He gave some helpful advice along these lines in Deuteronomy 13. 
Is that if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears amongst you, among you and announces to you a sign or a wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. Keep the commandments and obey him, serve him and hold fast to him. And you know the very next verse goes on to say that those who bring false prophecies have committed a capital offence. That's how seriously uh, false prophecy was treated. Then one more, a third test. Consider the fruits of the prophet's life and ministry. And, and here's how Jesus suggested we can recognize those whom he called, with rather strong language, ferocious wolves. Actually, he switched metaphors. He gave a couple of warnings. He said, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Now, there was a certain thorn bush uh, amongst the, uh, the location and the timing of Jesus called the buckthorn, which had little black berries that from a distance resembled grapes. And there was a certain thistle that had a flower that at a distance looked a bit like a fig. The point Jesus was making... Don't be taken in by superficial or first impressions. Look closely. There may be a superficial resemblance between true and the false, but be cautious. A person may seemingly operate in the power of the Spirit, and there may be some sorts of results and consequences from their ministry. But what is the fruit that ultimately hangs from the branches of their lives? In some instances, that which may appear at first glance to be godliness and spirituality on closer examination may prove to be something else. That which looks like grapes or figs turns out to be sharp and hurtful. Once again, Moses offered some great advice on this. Deuteronomy 18 this time, verse 21, it says, You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message is spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. In other words, fruit never lies. You can call an orange tree an apple tree As much as you like, you can make a sign that you stick to it that says this is an apple tree, but come the season for the fruit and what will hang on the tree will be oranges, not apples. And so Jesus, earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17, said, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit, and a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And when Jesus said this, I don't think he was just referring to fruit that comes from the prophet's words or their ministry. Fruit in the Bible is actually normally illustrative of character and lifestyle and behavior. Remember reading about a uh, a man who visited a church in another town and he heard what to him was the most eloquent, the most amazing sermon he had ever heard. 
And uh, at the end of the service, he got talking to people who were part of this church family and said to him, you must be just absolutely amazed and grateful that you have this particular person as your regular preacher here. And he wondered why people would kind of sort of look down and study their shoes. And then finally, he, uh, he heard one of them say, yeah, he does bring a good word, but you should see the way he treats his kids. Well, when Paul wrote to two young pastors that he was mentoring, Timothy and Titus, about how to select appropriate people for positions of leadership in the church, he, he mentioned virtually nothing about ability or experience or spiritual gifting. The qualifications Paul listed were all about good character, things like faithfulness, hospitableness, Self-control, sobriety, healthy home life, a good reputation with people outside of the church, and so on and so on. In other words, the character of the prophet either accredits or discredits the veracity of their message. Are they humble in their approach or are they dogmatic and demanding? Are they themselves in a place of spiritual accountability as much as they would ask other people to be accountable to them and their words? Are they teachable and participating within the fellowship of Christ's body or do they remain aloof and mystically itinerant? Do the words they share have the effect of building people up and encouraging them in their spiritual walk or are they almost always negative or cross? There's a bizarre, bizarre notion that's been popularly talked about that suggests that people who are prophets are angry and grumpy. Well, p- pardon me for saying this, but what a load of nonsense. For all of us could be prophets, and all of us are expected to be people of good character and to be gracious, not always angry and grumpy. Now, to be sure... Authentic prophecy does not require a perfect prophet. Based upon Numbers 22, if God can speak through Balaam's donkey, he can communicate through an imperfect prophet. The issue is not one of having to always be right as much as the attitude of humility that admits human frailty and welcomes personal accountability within the body of Christ. In other words, in the end, character is the important authenticating key. Likewise, none of this gives license for people to play heresy hunters as well, fostering a culture of suspicion, conspiracy theories about those who speak. In a previous church that I was a pastor of, we had some people who, I, I don't know quite what I'd done to upset them and get offside with them, but they actually were spreading a rumor that I was possibly the devil's plant in the church uh, to scuttle it. But we remain open to God speaking to us through whomever he chooses, even from those who might be considered the least amongst us. So, in closing, two types of people will be judged concerning false prophecy. Firstly, obviously, the false prophets. God opposes proud people, uh, and particularly those who lead children astray. In fact, Jesus suggested 
people that do that should have a millstone tied around their neck and throw them into the depths of the sea. So the likes of your Jim Joneses and your David Koreshes and others that led people to destruction, that they will not escape God's displeasure. That's clear. But they're not at fault alone. And this applies to us. So too are those who mindlessly and willfully swallow the deception of a false prophet. They share the blame for refusing to follow God's advice in testing the word and weighing it carefully according to the objective wisdom that God has given us in the Bible and the collective discernment of the body of Christ. This is why God places us in a Christian family to keep each other on track. And so in the end, people who are deceived are people who allowed themselves to be deceived. Let's pray together.